I told Garrett, I was like, maybe this next podcast won't take so long. And he goes, won't take so long. I could take half an hour talking about unusual suspects by myself. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) please don't. Hi everybody, thank you for listening to X-Files Talk X-Files. This is the only podcast that has been asked to leave the gym after being caught dancing in the steam room while singing Cher's greatest hits. <laughs> I'm your host David Howard and joining me once again from xfilesnews.com, I have Tiffany and Garrett Duvall. Hello both of you. Hello. Hey. <laughs> so we are very excited today. We're going to be talking uh, unusual suspects through Kitsangari. So a bunch of some really good uh, season five episodes here. Uh, but even more exciting than that, we have another listener question. Uh, this is from Philippa Mann, uh, who sent in a question. She went to xfilestalkxfiles.com, clicked on contact, and uh, that's how she sent us a question. So if you have a question that you want us to discuss on the show, that's how you do it. And Tiffany, I know you really want to get your teeth sunk into this. <laughs> question is, what is your all-time favorite shipper moment? Oh my gosh. Um... Okay, so I've been told that I'm not allowed to take a half hour to discuss my all-time favorite shipper moments, so I'll try to keep it short. Um, there's so many. I, I can find a shipper moment in literally every single episode of this series, and I'm not even kidding. Because, no, we, we've noticed. Yeah, well, when we're doing the the, tweet, the tweeting every night, of course, for the 201 days of the X-Files, <laughs> um, <laughs> what... One night, I guess a couple weeks ago, it was my turn to tweet. So it was, um, you know, tweeted out that, oh, you know, Et T. Duvall is going to be tweeting for Et X Files News and whatnot. And so I was tweeting it. I don't even remember what episode it was, but one of the tweets back to me was, we can always tell when Tiff is manning the XFN Twitter. Like, <laughs> they could literally tell that it was me versus someone else because because of the ship. So... Sorry, not sorry, I guess. Um, all right, so my all-time... I I have so many. Do you so, just do like a top 20 or something? Yeah, no, <laughs> oh I, think, I think I'm going to go with my all-time favorite shipper episode. Okay. Because it's just easier that way because there's so many moments. So I'm going to... I know you're going to love this one so much, David, but I'm going to go with Milagro as being my all-time favorite shipper episode of all of the x-files i'm gonna i'm gonna say malagro so there you go and i don't know i shouldn't i don't feel like i should need to explain why i feel like most people listening to this that care about the shipper question would well then i feel like most people would remember like all the shippy parts of that episode you care Well, it's so written I, by it's written by Frank Spotnitz, so I ship him, right? And and I ship the X Files, and I ship Mulder and Scully, so just kind of you know, 
all goes in together. It's the whole episode is shippy. Like I don't even know how to pick it apart. It's just the whole thing. If I if you made me pick it apart, it would take a half hour. Do you really want to do that? No. no. Okay. So just <laughs> so just accept that Milagro has some of my all time favorite shippy moments. Um, if you want one, I'll say it's the end where Mulder comes in and Scully, of course, is on the floor covered in blood and he thinks she's dead. And then he bends over her and she freaks out when she realizes he's there and clings to him and her nails are like digging into his back and she starts crying. So there's, there's one of many in that episode. There you go. Garrett. Oh no. Do I have to have a special moment? No, I mean, I don't know. I don't really ship. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't have to be Mulder and Scully. It just said, what's your favorite shippy mo- shipper moment, right? Well, then, for that, it would have to be, and we're going to talk about this episode this time, is I, I really I identify with Byers as a character more than pretty much any character on the X-Files. Um, and his moment with, you know, Suzanne Modeski, where she's talking about truth as a weapon, uh, where he's talking about what he can do, um, was just a really strong moment for me. Um, I just I love his character, and it's just, you know, if I were in that world and swung a different way, he and I would be best mates. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say you would go gay for buyers? That's amazing. I totally would. I love That's him. That's amazing. <laughs> Get a bit more insight on why he doesn't like Langley again, you know? <laughs> I, I don't dislike Langley. It's just <laughs> You wanted him um, to die. You wanted him all to you want buyers all to yourself. I, well, I mean, out of all of the, the Lone Gunman, out of the three of them, I mean, he's the one that I least identify with. Um, Byers is by far, he's the one that had honesty and integrity from the get-go. He was trying to work within the system, and he believed in the government. You know, and his cause for the Lone Gunman is vastly different than what Frohickey or Langley are there for. Um and I identify with that to a deeper level than, you know, with the other characters. I mean, it just, you know, Mulder's always been kind of like that cool surf kid that, you know, is really smart and he goes against the rules. And, you know, Scully has been that, that really hot, intelligent woman that, you know, can kick some ass in, you know, 50% of the episodes, you know, depending on who's writing. Um, <laughs> and I just, he is what I think, you know, all kids, you know, growing up, you know, wanted to be, like, I always wanted to be, I grew up in the 80s, you know, and I always wanted to be like a G.I. Joe and all this stuff. And I, it's funny now thinking about it, but um, I really identify with him. And uh, it's just kind of funny because it's not that, you know, main character set. I mean, I, I definitely like Mulder and Scully. It's not that I'm against them having a relationship. But I, I think my shipping moments for them would be, extraordinarily different than most people. I mean, I like the, like we talked about with the last episode, you know, where he's crying um, over her asleep. It's not really a moment where, you know, they're both interacting. It's just that his vulnerability is showing, and I thought that was such a strong moment. So, I find that with Byers, too. I mean, that that kiss that Suzanne Modeski gives Byers is his reasoning for becoming, for, you know, being part of the Lone Gummy and for continuing to try to find the truth. And that, that is such a odd relationship. <laughs> That's actually really sweet. Yes, it is. So, 
<laughs> for me, I think it's it's got to be the dancing at the end of postmodern Prometheus. Aww. I mean, David has said himself that he said at the time that you know whenever, however the show ends, he can't think of a more beautiful ending to the show than that last shot in that that episode and. Yeah, you know, that turned out to be true. I absolutely think that's the case. Um, yeah, there's so much that we could talk about the relationship between Mulder and Scully or other relationships on the show. But um, yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one sort of ship a moment, that's always going to be the one that stands out to me. Yeah. All right. So Garrett, unusual suspects. You're the big fan of this episode. You want yeah. to kick us off? I am. Um, it's a great episode. I mean, it's an introduction into uh, a set of characters um, that you've seen before, but you really get a lot of backstory. Um, and it's it's great. Um, of course, you know, this episode with... this episode came about because um, David and Jillian were still going to be busy shooting the movie, and so they wrote an episode that didn't really feature them a whole lot. So right. that's why we had the the uh, lone gunman. Yeah, and I think uh, you know. An appeasement to the fans for that was that, you know, Mulder's naked in this one. Uh, you could see his butt a little bit. <laughs> okay, not 100% right. of the fans, but... Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them might really enjoy that. I don't know. Um, yeah, so that was <laughs> obviously a, a high point for, I think, some people. And for the rest of us, uh, it was the return of X. <laughs> so... <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I totally forgot that Mulder was even in this episode, so... Even like he, he doesn't even play naked Mulder and all, yeah. Barely. You're probably distracted by his cell phone whenever he's on screen. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know they find him and he comes out of a crate or he's by a crate has a bunch of um, what is it medication for asthma, and he is delirious. And then they find and lock up the the lone gunman, um, and then it kind of whether. Byers goes in to recount how they got there and what has happened to Agent Mulder. Um, and so, you know, it starts at this convention in 1989 uh, where they're talking about um, each one has a different booth at this, this really weird convention that isn't well described. Um, you know, Byers is there uh, trying to promote the FCC. Frohickey's uh, there with Frohickey's uh, Electronics Corporation. And Langley has an electronics booth as well. And I think some of the booths that you see in the background are like uh, abduction insurance uh, and sorts. Um, so that was always kind of bizarre. Um, but then, you know, Suzanne Modeski comes and, you know, it kind of catches Buyer's eye and he follows her around. And that pretty much sets up all the craziness that's going to happen. Um where else should I go with this? <laughs> well, it sort, of, sort of set the groundwork for, you know, these three characters are fan favourites, and we've never really seen them do a whole lot. Usually it's just in their warehouse, and they're talking some sort of techie stuff to give some sort of exposition to the plot, help move things along. It's not until Memento Mori that we actually see them out in the field really doing a whole lot. I mean, okay, yeah, we've seen them ice skating before, but that's... <laughs> the episode where they are actually going out and they're putting their technical know-how to actually do some really cool stuff and get involved in the action. And I think this episode sort of builds on that, uh, probably with the idea of, you know, these characters might have the potential to do a spin-off show, which they ultimately did. And 
you know, they get a couple of episodes sort of dedicated to them later on throughout the show, but this is the most X-Files of the of the lot. I mean, yeah. with Free of a Kind, you know, that is really sort of more of a, a backdoor sort of pilot for what the Lone Gunman show would become. And when we get to Jump the Shark, I mean, that's obviously the summation, the, the um, tying all the threads together from their own spin-off show. Um, Tiffany, I'm I'm going to go (laughs) there. I'm going to go there, but uh, (laughs) this is the episode which obviously happens. It predates the X Files before we actually met Mulder and Scully Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the show, and Mulder has a wedding ring on. Oh damn, you didn't! (laughs) (laughs) Well, then, uh, yeah, you know, I pretend that that didn't actually happen, but. You just focus on Frohickey saying he's single. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh, Mulder's totally not married. It's fine. And then, of course, later you figure out, I guess, the assumption of who he was married to. Um, so, yeah. That's that's an interesting plot line. Thanks for that, Chris Carter. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. My favorite part of this episode, and this could be because I am... I love The Lone Gunman, but I, I don't think I've seen Unusual Suspects a, like as many times as I may have seen some of the other episodes. But one of my favorite parts is, number well, the fact that X is in it. But then when they ask him who killed Kennedy, and he said something like, I heard, what does he say? I heard it was a Lone Gunman. Yeah. And how that that is how The Lone Gunman got their name. I thought that was the coolest thing. That wasn't cool. He almost killed Byers. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't. He Russian roulette him. That was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew what was going to happen. I still was like, oh my god, he better not kill him because I can't watch this anymore. That, that's your man. To be the end. Well, yeah. <laughs> I would I would have cried. Just a little bit. I mean, he really, he in some ways is the most important character of the Lone Gunman. Especially this episode, you know, I mean, Rohickey and Langley are just trying to bootleg cable, essentially, <laughs> for their product. Um, you know, and Langley's obviously okay just hanging out in the den with his uh, D&D friends, uh, you know, betting money on <laughs> the uh, dice roll. Um, and Rohickey seems fine just, you know, trying to sell his product. But Byers is actually, like, he cares. I mean, he tries to help her and is sentimental towards her, you know, even though that the photo of her daughter is obviously fake. Um, You know, and he goes against his code to help her. You know, he ends up getting a guy that was playing Big Doug, you know, ends up going away for him. And Byers even tries to say, you know, oh, I'm the one that broke in. And Frohickey's the one that stops him. Um you know, so he's the most honest character, and I, I thought that was... I, I really just... I dig his character a lot <laughs> because of that. Yeah. Because, I mean, he, he has to question his morals. He has to question what is right and what is wrong, whereas the others kind of just they go into it. And, you know, they're worried about their own skin, whereas Byers is really worried about helping this lady, even after he finds out, you know, that she could be a psychopath. I mean, he's obviously afraid, but... um. You know, he still wants to help her. Yeah, and that's obviously, you know, 
where they are then coming from is yes they do all this hacking they break these laws they take matters into their own hands but they're always coming from this very um morally centered sort of place right you know throughout and that, and that's i you know what i love about them i mean it, it really is the truth is their weapon you know and that's uh, i thought it was such a strong line for her for him to peck you know for her to peck him on the cheek and kind of give him that it was it was special cuz i mean she knew that she wasn't going to be around <laughs> you know that she was going to i mean she obviously was skittish and was going to get picked up but she she gave that to them and that i think that was such a a sweet little moment <laughs> And it was kind of funny too, you know, with her like when you first see her walking down the aisle, the uh, the booth behind her is is called Super Racks. Yes, which I thought it was kind of funny. I picked up on that this time. I'm not sure. Yeah, if I noticed I'd never it before. noticed that before. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Netflix. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's that HD, man. Yes, it was great. I mean, they really this episode really gave them a lot and allowed them to show their characters so much more. I mean, it had so many quotable lines, you know, like welcome to the dark side and where Rohiki has to say your Kung Fu is the best. And just, it really took these characters that could have been relatively bland and gave them a lot of depth in a short amount of time, really. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, it's hard to think now that, you know, prior to this, as I was saying, they really hadn't, done a whole lot they'd just been there to give exposition and you know we had some good comedic moments with them and stuff but this is where we really get to see them as characters and obviously Byers gets you know the the lion's share of the limelight here in terms of his character and his <laughs> development um but but yeah it's there's definitely potential there for the, the show that would actually come out of this eventually yeah, yeah i mean it- you know, it's kind of cool because it's all believable, too. Like, I could actually see this happening in the real world. I mean, there wasn't any of, you know, any extraterrestrial part of it or any, you know, it just, it kept to, it could actually, there could be three people out there capable of doing these things and meeting up in this kind of convention. And it just it picks up on some of that lore of being a hacker or being, you know, able to do these kind of things. And it's, I don't know, it's cool. <laughs> They did a good job of picking up on the 1989 vibe. Yes. And granted, I mean, I guess when this came out, it was not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, it would have been, what, 97? Yeah, it would have fallen 97 because the movie came yeah. out in 98, so. Yeah. Okay, so from the high-tech hacking world of the late 80s to uh, the middle of nowhere, <laughs> 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 let's go to the woods in Florida and talk detour. Detour! Which, this and the following episode, Postmodern Prometheus, these are two of some of the most classic kind of Exiles episodes now. Yeah. Yeah, this is one that I've revisited many times over the years just because it's a very easy watch. It has some cool, creepy moments to it. Um, It's just a classic X-File. Yeah. It is, but it also has like a little bit of depth has a lot of little things that I thought were really interesting about it. You know, it has the comedy of the team building seminar, yes. the yes. car at the beginning, <laughs> yes. and it leads into the, the quiz essentially, you know, X-File that there's, you know, creatures in the middle of the woods that they got to investigate. But then there's still deeper conversations between the two characters about dying and about, you know, all this stuff that had happened. 
and they lightly tossed in some comedy into that as well. So I think it was a it was a well balanced episode by and large. I mean, it yeah. definitely was beyond just a normal X Files episode um, or a Monster of the Week. It had a little more depth. Well, you mentioned the depth in the episode where it gets really deep there when Mulder and Scully are talking after they're trying to you know build the the fire. Of course, she's trying. She's tr- yeah, she's trying to unscrew the bullets so she can use gunpowder, you know. And you know, he they talk about the whole Indian guides, and he's like, Indian guides says go to the store and get some matches. I mean, it's such a funny light moment. And then Scully starts talking about what happened to her with her cancer, where she, you know, kind of is talking about how she struggled with trying to when she realized she was dying, trying to give it meaning. How, to have it mean something, and she she says, and then she realized that, you know, you couldn't give it meaning. Uh, you know that 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 was a struggle just to give it meaning. Um, oh yeah, I think she what she was saying is that death is meaningless in and of itself. Yeah. The struggle of life is to give death meaning. Yes. That just made it extraordinarily deep. Yeah, because- in, in such a very light. I mean, it, it was so light and kind of fluffy and then you know all of a sudden it, it just gets into this very yeah deep, i mean they, beautiful they moment. kind of looked around prior to this and I, I think this line was so much deeper because they kind of when she was actually dealing with the cancer they're like oh the priest came in and she's like oh shaken faith but then this yeah. is a much more went back to old school you know scully yeah. where she's like oh you know i've thought about this and you know this has been on my mind you know and it's much more personal. I mean, I think it's a lot deeper than just overreaching, like religious excellence. You know. Yeah, I like that the two the two of them together. You know, when they're in situations like this, where it's kind of them against nature and everything, are always it, they're always such great episodes. Um, and the, having the two of them together in this, where they're kind of joking with each other, and of course Mulder's injured, and uh, you know she's kind of like. She grabs him to kind of roll him into her lap to kind of keep him warm. Her excuse is to keep him warm. And, you know, he's, he's like, I don't want to wrestle. You know, <laughs> she kind of pulls him into her lap anyway, you know, to kind of uh, talk to him and keep him, you know, warm and everything. And she tells him you know, she'll take first watch or whatever. And uh, he convinces her to sing for him, you know, so that he knows that, you know, she's awake and she's like petrified. She's like, "Oh my gosh, you don't want me to sing." And then, of course, that's when you know she starts um, singing. Uh, what is it? Three Dog Night, Joy to the World. Um, so yeah, that's that's such a sweet moment that, of course, comes up later. You know, in, in other another episode. But Detour Man is like my jam. I love it. it, it yeah, it, it, it's it's like it is. It's my jam. It's like my monster of the week. You know, it's probably it's not one without of my its errors. Let's let's be honest. Oh, I don't even care about all the errors because like the Mulder and Scully parts when they're in the woods and the whole team building and come on, they build a tower of bodies to get out of the cave while joking about the fact that they already have team building. They don't need some seminar. They have unspoken communication. You know. It's, it's right. perfect. It's so them. It's perfect. But go ahead. Tear it down as you will. I'm not going to tear it down. <laughs> I'd just like to point out that the, the concept of the episode is that men in the 1521s, you know, found the Fountain of Youth, supposedly. The of Youth, yeah. And that over 460 yes. or 80 years, 
they evolved to be uh, able to apparently be able look to like trees. Completely camouflaged. Yeah, but with uh, red eyes for whatever. Yeah, it's like 400 years is definitely not enough time to evolve that far. Um, I mean, humans <laughs> have been alive a very long time, and then that has never occurred. Uh, because if it had, I would be one of those. Um, yeah, you, you would well, be one of them. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I would be one of those. I would love. I, I think that that effect is very cool. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean that's given as a possible explanation as to what these creatures are, but it's never proven. Well, yeah, or, it's not proven. It's, not but it's the one that Mulder walks away with. Yes, again, that's what it is. <laughs> Which I mean, I guess is taken worth a grain of salt. I mean, he's not. Yeah. An by any means, in this. One of my one of my favorite shots, and it's just be, it's not because anything's happening so much. Is it's just a very strong camera shot of Scully. Is when Mulder wakes up and she's not there with him after she's sunk to him the night before, and he's starting to panic and he's looking around and he calls her name, and then she pops up from the bushes across the way with her gun in the air, like with a mouthful of berries and a handful of berries. She's like, oh. I'm, I'm over here, you know, I, I, you never left my sight, you know. Um, and the, then, of course, she falls down the, the hole. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, just the image when the, you know, camera hits her and she's just kind of, like, over there with, like, her, you know, chomping on whatever with her gun straight in the air. That's just such a funny, um, strong image of her. Yeah. I'm actually curious is like, um, I know he mentioned that he was an Indian guide. I was wondering why they picked Indian guide over like the Boy Scouts of America. There, like, the writer had been in Indian Scouts because I remember like growing up in Tennessee that um, I was both a Boy Scout and an Indian guide. Yeah. For a couple years, it was just those two competing organizations. It seemed like Indian guide kind of died out. Um, at least in this area, compared to Boy Scouts. That is really interesting. I never thought of that. But The Indian Guides was much cooler. I mean, so, not, not in a horrible way. I mean, if you if you happen to be an Eagle Scout, please don't kill me. Um, I think Boy Scouts are awesome. But, you know, it's like you get patches in Boy Scouts, but there you got, like, Indian feathers put in your, you know, your thing that you put on your head. Well, I don't your headdress? Yes, your, your headdress. Yeah. It's just very cool. Like, I remember I was only in Indian Guides for, like, maybe two years. Uh, we did canoeing and stuff like that. It was it was really wonderful time with my dad. But it's kind of interesting that was mentioned. I was like, I can relate. I forgot that you're an Indian guy. Does this mean that when you and I are backcountry camping and we have no way to, like, make a fire that you would just be able to, I, I guess, if we had a fire on with us, really tear well. it open and, like, spark gunpowder? No, I what? would never be able to do it with a gun, but I, I think two sticks I could survive. All right. Maybe. Let's go on now to um, postmodern Prometheus then. Yes. Oh, mm. <laughs> what was the little growl for? I don't know. Like rewatching this episode literally killed me. Um, because in my mind, I like I always remembered it being a very good episode, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, it just was not as good for me this time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's I I yeah. <laughs> it's it's so funny because it's Chris Carter's favorite episode, like it's his favorite one. Um, 
Well, it definitely feels, I mean, it happens outside of, I guess, the canon universe, correct? Or is it? No, it's, it? it's, it's within it. I mean, the black and white just seemed, I don't know, extra, unnecessary. Well, I think that's I get what, that I they're trying to that way. I, oh, I know he did. It just, I don't know. It's one of those, like, he does such a good job when <laughs> there are arc episodes where it's just like, it's so, like, this is so serious and we got to put it, you know, and then they're covered with, like, little bits of fun, but this doesn't feel like any of the episodes we've watched up to this point. It's kind of. It's very, of yeah, it does kind of come out of nowhere. Um, and they kind of gloss over some of the darker aspects of the episode, which are yes. kind of funny. Um, they. The whole su fun. surprise impregnation, yes. <laughs> well, that too, but I mean, they, they poke fun um, at the South or the redneck that they, you know, they, even with um, Home, while they kind of, you know, were making a little slight at the South, uh, they, they still showed, you know, the town people to be nice and, all that stuff, like, this is, like, everybody in the town is an idiot. <laughs> Scully hates everybody. And she's, like, I know. wrote her so poorly in this episode. Yeah, she's so she angry. really, she hates everyone. She's so like, rude to yeah. everybody. She's like, oh, look at this fat lady talk about somebody impregnating her. It's got to be her kid's, you know, comic book he's writing. Gosh, she's so stupid. <laughs> it was, her character was it was so out of character for her um it really just pulled me out um she couldn't yeah, I mean, like she couldn't stand to so be cool. around the whole jerry springer people like she right. yeah but, i mean i don't know i think some of it was jealousy over the fact that Mulder was getting attention from this and she didn't like that aspect of it. The cheesiness, she thought, you know, that he shouldn't even be there. But, I mean, she was, it, it was kind of surprising. I, have, I don't think I would have recalled her being quite that rude before. She yeah. just seems very, very upset that she has to even be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't a, it was just, I mean, it, it was a good episode in some ways. I mean, I wouldn't discredit completely. I mean, obviously, you have the end, which is what I think most people like this episode for. Yeah, where they're at the share concert. And nothing is really distracted, you know, distracting yeah. from that. I mean, that is, in its own way, that part is very good and important, and I get that. But, I mean, with the, the monster itself, it's so funny. Watching it the first time, like, I didn't pick up on, you know, any of, like, the little nuances of the back. You know, I mean the whole concept of um, an older man setting up a tent and then drugging women. Yes. That this guy can go in and mate with them. Um, yeah. It's deeply disturbing. And then, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, really, it's supposed to be sweet, but, and I, like, when no, I was younger, so I thought it was so women. sweet. Yeah. Right. And I did too, but it was so Now that I'm older, like I watched it again and I was like, oh, <laughs> wow, wow. It's, but it's so disturbing because, like, when the yeah. town there to like kill him, and he gives that whole thing, and he's like, "Oh, you know, it was loneliness. I know. I wanted to feel something. You know, I I needed a mate. Or I needed a creation for me, and I just couldn't get that. Yeah. You know, this is the way of getting that happiness. And everybody's like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> poor you." 
I'm older and, and smaller, like, okay, this, like it's two yeah. women. Like, one yeah. woman, like, who's the father then? And she's looking around like on all the barn animals. Like, that's just such a crap. I mean, she's like, well, stupid rednecks. Of course, they're going to want to sleep with barn animals. <laughs> so offensive. I mean, I mean, this is like, not everybody's like that, of course. You know, and then it's like, well, it's all okay. These two women got raped, but they get to go on Jerry Springer and love their little mutant kids. <laughs> crap. I mean, and then they're like, well, the, the you know, this scientist, he's so unethical. We must arrest him. Oh, like, man. Carry him off. It's like, whoa. This just jumped like all ethical bounds. It just went straight from being like this really creepy moment, and then it's like, let's take them and go dance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we we jumped so over the fence on this one. I need. I want people that anyone who's made it this far and listened to the like once we got to the more deeper, I guess, more disturbing sections of postmodern Prometheus. I want other people that have seen this episode to like com- go to the website and comment on the like I I honestly want to know what other people think about this because it's it used to be at least from what I understand from fans that we've talked to it's like everyone's one of their favorite episodes and it's Chris Carter's yeah, favorite I mean, episode I, I everybody mentions it, it. and like, I now <laughs> I I watched it recently and I thought what in the... I clearly didn't pick up on so much of this that when I was younger, you know, seeing it for the first time. Now I'm watching it going, wow, this is... Yeah, I don't I don't even know what to say about it. Interesting. Yeah. Save us, David. <laughs> <laughs> Save us. I, I, I don't know if I can bring it back from where you guys took it. <laughs> it was just, you know, I mean, it's so dark. I mean, they put the, the tent covers up the whole house. I know. And they're, it's like, not... utilizing all their, this lady's furniture and all her stuff while she's... And then, you know this guy is in the house. Okay, I just... two-headed mutant is getting his business done. This is now creepier very than... This is now creepier than Irresistible. Last episode, we talked about what is the scariest episode of The X-Files. This now, the more Garrett's talking, is starting to become that for me. Well, come on. <laughs> When the doctor's wife finds out that the mutant got her pregnant, her face is elated. She's like, thank God somebody raped me so I can have babies. Oh, all right, all right, all right. But I mean, seriously, it was like, what? Her face did not make any sense. Okay. It was kind of like, well, because I didn't feel it and it wasn't against my will while I was awake, it's okay. But I was like, that is not okay. Let's just just move on from here because this episode was great. It's just going to get worse. <laughs> oh, it's great. I, I, it was funny that it was, like, centered around, um, you know, like, this kid's comic book character that he had actually experienced. And Scully was this – she was so mean to this kid. She's like, well, obviously you didn't see them. You're both delusional and you drink a lot, which is why you came up with this character. Because you read it in your son's comic book, you dumb <laughs> redneck. And oh, then later God. she's so mad this kid has recorded her conversation about how all these rednecks are so stupid. <laughs> and it's like she put herself in that situation. But it's just so funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's, we it's, just, it's, we literally just ripped apart Chris Carter's favorite episode of yeah, this, is, this is not where I expected ever. this discussion to go at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. It was great. I mean, there's some like wonderful parts to it, but this one was just like, whoa. 
I mean, we can talk about the Hawks gene and how Scully didn't know anything really about it, which is okay, even though the doctor is a dick. And then, you know, he's like, I can put legs on a fly's eyes. And it's like, well, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens. This is what happens when someone that has, like, worked in film watches an episode of television. It was like at the end, it's like, here's a dance number with Cher. That gives, forgive us for everything else. You've got that moment. We came up with an episode. We have five minutes of Christine footage. The other, you know, 40 minutes or 35 minutes is there for you to watch, if you so please. Uh, It's a little sketchy at best. Uh, Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I mean, I know they're poking fun at, um, you know, tabloid humor, like Wolf Boy and stuff. Um, you know, talking about the werewolf baby and how, you know, yeah. well, there's like, it's actually a genetic thing. And the woman didn't care, obviously. She's like, well, it's still a werewolf to me. So hairy and stuff, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it definitely it had some underlining tones that were, it's a little bit offensive, to be honest. I mean, the redneck is, I mean, there are a lot of people in the South that happen to meet some of those stereotypes, but... By and large, it's not the majority. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's funny about this? You're talking about this, this at the darker aspect of, you know, women and and what happens to the women in the story. And we're getting ready to go into Christmas Carol and Emily, where essentially the same thing happens to Scully. Let's let's go there. Let's go there. Yeah. Let's go there. there. Let's go right into Christmas Carol. Lead us in, David. <laughs> okay, I'm going. Well, I'm going to start off with the Melissa angle because we, you know, right before we did this podcast, we actually recorded the last one we did, uh, Gaffs and Main through Redux Two, and there's that scene at the end of Redux Two where um, where Bill Scully is talking to Mulder in the hospital corridor, and he's all, he's saying to him, "You know, I've already lost one sister to this crusade you're on." tell me was it worth it did you find what you're looking for and it's quite nice that we've had that sort of exchange going straight into mm-hmm. this one then where it's all about you know scully's getting these phone calls that it sounds like it's melissa on the phone and that's what christmas carol is all about is about scully trying to figure out what actually went on in her sister's life there's a period of time where they sort of drifted apart and lost touch and she's trying to figure out you know what happened during those years and then she meets this young child emily and she becomes convinced that that might actually have been melissa's daughter that she gave up for adoption and it's just a very interesting way of bringing that deceased character back into the show i mean exos has done it on numerous occasions you know most recently with x popping up in in unusual suspects um so it's quite nice that we got some more of melissa in the show but it was through these sort of weird phone calls and it was a very interesting way to go into a mythology story mm-hmm. from having that sort of personal connection. And of course, Scully has had um, instances in the past when her father passed away and she saw him sitting in her living room, you know, shortly after he had died, that mm-hmm. she maybe has this sort of connection with people who... Who were deceased so it's, it's a very sort of interesting way into a mythology episode yeah i think that um 
uh, what I, I like about Christmas Carol is that Scully is clearly still trying to kind of come to terms with her sister's death. Uh, you know, they're spending Christmas with her family. Obviously, her sister is, is uh, a part of their family that's missing you know, this season, and it's, I'm sure, extremely difficult for her, especially with all of them having lost her father. And so when she starts getting these calls, you know, of course, later, um, I think it's either later in Christmas Carol or it might be in Emily where her mother actually sits down with her and tells her, you know, that she had the same thing. You know, she would see her husband, you know, everywhere. She would get a phone call or swear she could hear him on the line, you know. So her family thinks Scully is just kind of trying to process through the grief, but when Scully first sees the little girl, something pulls her towards that child, and she's not sure what it is yet, and so that's why she's kind of charming her way with the detective to kind of, you know, convince him to, to give her information, and, and she starts this kind of whole investigative process over Christmas of trying to figure out, you know, why she's getting these calls. And she won't even tell Mulder that it's happening. The, the one time she calls Mulder, and he, you know, of course, runs in from having a jog, and he answers. I mean, he's on the phone for... His ridiculous hat. Yeah, he just got back yeah, from the bandana his, convention. Yeah, <laughs> his crazy hat. He's on the phone for a good five, six, eight seconds, you know, saying hello, hello, hello. And she hears him, but she can't bring herself to tell him what's happening because one, it's something that's very personal to her. And two, she probably thinks that she's, that she's going crazy or that she can't possibly admit to Mulder that she's having this kind of, you know, supernatural type thing happen to her. Um, so the episode is really her coming to grips with her sister's death, her coming to grips with what it is that, you know, she's being pulled for whatever reason to care about this child. Um, you know, and of course, in the end, she, or well, she gets the little girl's picture and compares it to, because she keeps having, you know, flashback dreams of when she was a child, and she realizes that why she has this pull towards the girl, she looks just like Melissa, you know, and so she compares their photos and realizes that they look almost identical, and that's when she, you know, runs the PCR test and, um, you know, discovers that... What she thinks at first is that she's Melissa's child, um, you know. So that's that's really a it's setting you up for the you know blow that comes later on in the episode where you know Scully gets the final test results because of course you know the initial PCR test was done very quickly and at the very end of Christmas Carol of course Scully is reading the results and announces to her family that, you know, she's Emily's mother. And I don't think anyone, I sure as hell didn't see that coming when I first watched this episode when it was first on, on the air. I was like, oh, wow, Melissa had a baby. That's so crazy. I, I never, like, I didn't even remotely expect that Emily would actually be Scully's child. I probably should have expected that as we, you know, as the episode was going forward, but I, I honestly never did. That was a big shock. It's a really cool moment because even just watching it yesterday, you know, and knowing it and seeing, haven't seen the episode, you know, numerous times over the years, that yeah, that bit where she sort of makes that announcement at the very end of the episode, it still yeah. sends, sends shivers down my spine. You know, yeah. it, it just makes your skin kind of t tingle. You know. 
Yeah, it's really, and the way she does it too, because she's explaining it, and she's like, you know, she says that uh, Melissa isn't Emily's mother, and she said, but they compared it to another DNA sample they had on file, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like, what is she about, like, you know what she's about to say at that moment, because um, if it's not Melissa's, and if she has this, you know, striking similarity in the in the DNA results, the second Scully says they compared it to another sample they had on file, I thought, holy shit, like, this is Scully's child. That this has to be from her abduction, and then, like, your imagination runs wild. So, yeah, Christmas Carol is a very, um, it, it's, it, Christmas Carol and Emily are actually two very sad, tragic kind of, you know, episodes, especially to have at the holiday season. Yes. Um, you know, but they're, they're so great for Scully's character in terms of her growth and her, um, just, she's obviously very strong throughout it. And then there are scenes where she's very vulnerable throughout it. And, um, you, you really, when you realize that it's her child, it's kind of a kick in the gut of everything that she's been through being with Mulder has her, her life is just such a tragic life because of her involvement with him. And that's becomes way more apparent at the end of Emily. Um, and then of course will become even more apparent as the series goes on. So you have this kind of iconic relationship between these two people. And yet if they weren't together, would she live a happier life? You know, it's, it's just, it's sad. It's just, it's so sad. So Christmas Carol is dealing more with Scully's, uh, I guess, you know, the sort of stuff that Scully is going through and mm-hmm. she feels this sort of connection and, you know, digging into Melissa's past and then, you know, it's setting it up then for everything that she mm-hmm. goes through in Emily. But it's not yes. it's not until the episode of Emily where we really get into the whole conspiracy angle because yeah. we don't really even know that that's really connected to it until, yeah, until we get that revelation. And um, Mulder reveals it. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of builds on some stuff that we discussed uh, with the Tunguska Turma episode where they were doing experiments on people in the old folks' home, you know, testing the uh, vaccination on them and infecting them with the black oil. And this we have another nursing home and these are the women who are the the mothers of these children. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting in the beginning because, you know, obviously Scully calls Mulder at some point because, you know, he shows up in the beginning and he's kind of upset at her for not calling him sooner. Um, You know, and she's talking to him about what it is she's doing. Of course, it sets it up for she's trying to adopt Emily. Um, And, you know, Mulder tells her, she wants him there as a witness, you know, on her behalf. And he tells her that he shouldn't, that he shouldn't testify for her. You know, that he, he doesn't agree with doing this because he doesn't want any harm to come to her, you know? So she's trying to balance, you know, doing what she feels is right for this child. And he feels, you know, very badly for her and for this child. But at the same time, you know, he cares about her and, you know, the child's both, adopted parents of Emily Sim have been murdered at this point. 
Um, so Mulder's not too keen on getting Scully involved in this child's life. So, but yet even with that, he goes to the hearing anyway. And that's when he drops the bombshell that all of Scully's over were taken when she was abducted. And Scully doesn't know this yet. Um, you know, so he, he kind of says it in front of this judge. And you notice he doesn't look at her the whole time. He, does, he doesn't even make eye contact with her. He's talking only to the judge. But the entire time he's talking, Scully is watching him. And she's reacting to everything that he says. But he can't meet her eyes. And so it's the whole scene with the judge where Mulder doesn't want to get, you know, involved. He doesn't want Scully getting this child, but yet he fights for her and, and defends her in this hearing with this judge because the judge is basically like, well, you know, she's not the child's mother in any legal sense. And Mulder, you know, tells him, well, you know, if you have a legal precedent for this case, I'd like to see it. You know, and he's basically telling the judge that, the fact that Scully can, you know, adopt her own flesh and blood, that it, it would be wrong of the court to get in the way of that. And even though Mulder doesn't want her doing it, doesn't want her anywhere near this case or this child, but he's willing to go there and give her what she wants, even though he doesn't believe that it's the safest thing for her. And that's, for their relationship that's growing from here, that's a very, I think, strong aspect of, of the two of them together. What I thought was really interesting, actually, is and I, I've always had this problem with uh, Scully's character, is that pretty much everybody around her craps all over. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, is that, and earlier, when she had cancer, Bill was actually on her side. I mean, he cared for her and wanted what was best for her. And his interaction with Mulder was about that. Um, but in this, in Christmas Carol, I mean, he's kind of a dick from the get-go. And he's really skeptical. And, you know, even his mother is, is skeptical and not very supportive. Yeah, really. I don't like and that it's about... It's kind of yeah. bizarre that her family, who is ultra-religious, is more skeptical than she is. Uh, and so they're kind of changing rules, which I thought was rather weird. To be um, fair, re-watching this... I, you know, Bill Scully didn't seem as abrasive as I remembered. And maybe it's because I watched, you know, these episodes so quickly after just watching Redux right yeah. now. But, you know, there's that scene in there where um, Bill Scully's trying to get her to um, at least agree to meet them for lunch one day or something. And, yeah. you know, in my mind, I, I knew how the scene played out that he's, you know quite firm and stuff with her that you know you're, you're going to meet us for lunch because your mother you know our mother wants to see you and, and all of this stuff but really he's in the scene the way that it did actually play out was he's kind of leaving it up to her and just trying to do more I mean, of the gentle that touch part I, got, I thought that part was is you know i understand his care there it's more of when he's like well you know you're just doing this because can't deal with the grief of having you know not being able to have babies that's really your own fault you idiot i mean he's really so abrasive right there um and i think any female any female in that situation would be hurt by that and there's really i think it'd be hard to find a way for him to be a good character in that sense at that moment because he's such a dick i mean yeah. you know when, when somebody is going through a traumatic experience Chastising them is the least likely thing to help, um, you know. And 
even when his, uh, her mother tries to comfort her, it's not really comfort. It's kind of like, you know, you're weak. Don't do this. Well, I saw it more as like, don't, don't cause, you know, don't cause rifts in the family. Right. Let's just all enjoy Christmas and don't cause issues. And I, Scully, you feel awful for her in these two episodes. I mean, you know, she, she just got over having cancer. She's coming to grips with her sister's death that all the other things that have happened to her. Um, She's having to sleep in the baby's room, her nephew that's not born yet, you know, Matthew's room. Uh, so there's the baby crib and all of these, all of this, this reminder of things that she can't have. And then, you know, she's at the dinner table with her sister-in-law and everybody's so excited about the baby and her sister-in-law is like, oh, that's a huge kick. And then, you know, Bill Scully is like, oh, is that a big one? Like she's surrounded by people that are just living their lives on with, without her in a way, you know, it's like she's there, but she's not. Um there i understand that i mean you know of course it's going to make her feel bad but i mean some of bill's statements were just to the heart mean spirited yeah. he was more about just shut up and get over this because we have a family event going and you just need to shut your mouth and let us be happy and it was just it was really i don't remember exactly what was said in that exchange but it was just very abrasive and mean spirited and it was it stood in contrast of his character at the hospital when she had cancer. Yeah. Um which really bothered me. But I mean it was interesting to see uh them, you know, usually turn to faith in these situations to be like, Well, it could have been your sister, you know, you're going delusional because you know, you want to have babies and all this. And she was the one that's like, Oh, you know, I can turn to this. Um, you know, as far as Emily, Emily was a great episode. Um, I mean, there really is no better scene for Mulder in the last several episodes than him kicking, uh, what is his name, Calderon, or Dr. Calderon. Yes. Ass in the office. Yes. Um, really? That's I just thought, a wonderful moment. Okay, you normally <laughs> are the one who says that the fight scenes are, are not that great. I think there's one with X in a parking lot. You were, <laughs> yeah. You were you kind like of dissing a few episodes ago, and then the last I, I one, you, the whole, the whole Kritschka and the staircase. This this scene really bothered me. It was. I thought it was terrible. <laughs> I thought it. <laughs> Is it because he slaps him in the face? He just <laughs> said that. I don't yeah. know. He just seems to go from zero to, to what, whatever this is. <laughs> Just, you know, just like that. And it, I know, it it seemed like more bizarre and silly than that fight. Because, I think, yeah, it's because his, his, he's not Emily's father, but that scene is basically showing a father's instinct kicking in. That, I think that's what it's trying to show. Just that he's kind of like Wayne Scully. Um, you know, you don't need to be around this baby because it's dangerous and this and this and this. Yeah. And everybody is crapped all over. Nobody is being supportive. And for that brief moment, it's all gone. He's just like, you know, fuck you. Give us the information. And if you don't, I will go through hell to make sure that you pay for it. Yeah. And it's 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 not logical. And yeah. It doesn't follow, like, you know, the, the norms of, like, what would really happen in the situation. But it's so the point because it's opposite of everything that's happened up to that and all you've wanted for these two episodes is somebody to be like look scully this is great 
That's great news. You yeah. have baby. This is wonderful. Let's support. Yes. Let's get you help. Let's figure this out. And nobody has given her that. And this outrage. I mean, granted, it probably realistically should have been more internal and could have been done through dialogue. But for the sake of time and effort, it was nice yeah. to see him. I think. I think he just, yeah, I think he loses it. I think he's so just angry that his partner is even in this situation and the complete injustice that she has suffered, and he's taking it out on this guy. He's just, he, he doesn't even care. You know? I mean, I, yeah. I, don't know, I, I like Mulder this time a lot more than normal in these situations because, you know, his exchange with Bill, where they would have talked, you know, when she had cancer went from their discussion to just a bitch face they looked at each other like i would fuck you up if we weren't in this place at the same time and nobody was looking they just passed on and Mulder was just so much more action oriented and caring and he's been in the past i mean i mean he's been caring and vulnerable but this time he's pissed he wants he wants things to be done with and figured out yeah you know he's finally been pushed to the women in this and wants to help <laughs> I, I love yeah. that moment because I mean I, especially as a, you know and it, it, it is kind of like what you said as you know like being a father yeah I think it's trying to do that, that. To you, you just want to be like I will break somebody's neck you're going to give me those medical records we're going to make sure that she's safe and you can fuck yeah. off <laughs> yeah that's I think that's really what it's boiling down to I think it's the anger over the injustice that you know Scully has suffered and it's you know the fact that there's this child, you know, he, he, I mean, it's, he loves her at this point. He may not, I mean, obviously he doesn't understand how to say that to her. She doesn't understand how to voice it to him, but he has a connection to her that is profound. And when someone has done something so horrific to someone that you love, I I think he just, that compounded with now there's a child involved in, in this situation He's just absolutely went off uh, on this guy. So I think, and I can definitely see why he did that. And then the probably my favorite part of the episode is Mulder's trying to be involved. He's not ditching her for once. He's trying to be involved throughout the whole thing. And in the end, when they realize you know that they really can't save Emily, and if they you know there's the question of if we do, how much of this can we do to her? You know, how much of this is fair to her? Um, you know, and Scully makes the decision that they're not going to continue these treatments. And Mulder offers, you know, he wants to stay with her. And, you know, she tells him that she'd rather be alone. And that, I mean, that just, like, gutted me. Because he, you know, he respects her space, you know, but he, you know, he wanted to be there for her. And he wanted to be there for this child. And, you know, she, she just needs to do this by herself. And so he has to, after going through all the rage and fighting with the guy to get the cure and all of these things, you know, it, none of it mattered because, you know, he, she just can't put that child through it. You know, so he just kind of has to go off and, and wait for Scully to be there with her and the little girl dies and you know, then he has to kind of come back at the funeral. And that's, that's sad for him to be so involved and then to have to step back. I thought that was just a horribly sad part of that episode. Yeah. No, I mean, that was, it was really well done. I mean, and 
that aspect, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's the thing about Christmas Carol that really kind of left some wanting a little bit more is that there was a lot of visualization, um, you know, that wasn't really well, I mean, not explained to a point where on my rewatch that I really could connect some of the symbolism, I think, that was occurring, um, like with the, the dead rabbit. Oh, yeah. I was guessing flash, I wanted to dream. know more about that. I mean, it was kind of an interesting dream. Yeah. You know, that she inadvertently killed her pet rabbit, uh, trying to protect it from Bill uh, yeah. by putting it in a lassie lunchbox under a bunch of books. Yeah. Yeah, poor little thing. You know, and then, you know, her sister saw, and it was kind of like this, oh, crap moment. But then it's like she wakes up and it's like, what does it all mean? Yeah. <laughs> what is, you know, that connection to, you know, what does the rabbit represent? What is, does a lunchbox represent something? Or, I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> I always want to find those connections. Yeah. It was a great, Emily, it was a great episode. Both Christmas Carol and Emily were just very beautiful, kind of very sad episodes that really furthered Scully's character and furthered you know her relationship with Mulder as they kind of move you know throughout season five so I think it was just and of course it's it's even more tragic when you look forward to what happens in William you know when you and Christmas Carol and Emily are sad and William is is horribly sad you put those three episodes together and you start to wonder how Scully even gets out of bed so it's just Yeah, even with these episodes, like I think I mentioned last time, was that in some ways these episodes are really disturbing. Yeah. I mean, they're beautiful for the connection between Mulder and Scully and, you know, this child. But at the same time, it's like the implications of what they did to her are so insane. It's terrible. I don't think anybody could imagine the government being complicit in the abduction of a woman. Yeah. uh, You know, the taking of all of her eggs um yeah then the you know the getting you know yeah, create, creating children yeah. you know yeah i mean you're basically stealing not only are you violating her physically and mentally but you are stealing part of who she is and stealing right. any future that she has and you know you're you're taking i mean that that's the the level of violation there is so horrific that the I mean, the, the horrifying yeah. thing is is that the government is doing this to multiple yeah, women. Multiple women. It's, She's not it's the only under one. Under the guise of you know Later, security and all this yeah. stuff. And it's like what the crap. Later on in season nine, when they find the ship on the Baltimore dock and find all of the, you know, different um ovum from other women, you know, and yeah. Scully is going through trying to find her baby's name. Like, that's just awful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so disturbing. You know, and and we talked about this, you know, that it is disturbing to see, like, a a monster of the week and how their their body is scary or that they have an ability that is abnormal that causes them to be, you know, scary. But this is, on a deeper level, horrifying um, what the implications are um, and what it's meant for Scully all along. I mean, you think of any character, um, any creature, or any villain throughout the 
entire season, and none of them have done what this organization has done to her. Has done to her. That they yes. have caused the most amount of damage through this program, and it's it's deeply disturbing. Yeah. Um, because you and know it, that it's vast. Yeah. It's not just her. Yeah. And she's still able to, you know, be a strong person and come back from it and be a strong character. And, um, you know, it, it, I hate, I mean, I hate to keep going down the, you know, assault angle of this, but, you know, for, for women, the thought that when something like that happens to you, that you, you're now less of a person, you're less of a woman, you're, you're, you're not as strong as, as you thought you were, or, or this, you know, this, that, and the other, and to have a character that has, you know, gone through similar things, and to still be who she is, it doesn't destroy her as a person, it becomes something that she obviously has to deal with and carry with her, but she is still strong, she is still... Yeah, you know, I mean, it's who she is, she can still continue. That as, okay. that writing is What is makes amazing. it, I think, so much more interesting for me is that she is able to do all these things with a family that really wants to protect her, but in protecting her is denying her the support that she really needs. You know, it's kind of like when, um, you know, she fell down the stairs um, last time we talked and how... You know, she had called and told Bill to bring her clothes, but Bill never told, you know, her mom. Yeah. Protect her mom. But nobody gave that support to her. It was like, oh, crap. You know, we need to. A lot of families, I think, tend to do that in the in real life. You know, you yeah. shovel it all underneath the, the carpet and just keep saying it's all OK. And her family has done that. But in some ways, she's always needed you know, that support and in Mulder in this episode, these last two episodes has been yeah. there for her. Yeah. We and joke it's made all the time his character about, so much more. Special. Yes. That we joke all the time about how Mulder's such a douche and Mulder ditches her all the time. And what a, you know, what a horrible person Mulder is, but man, in, in Christmas Carol and Emily, he is, I mean, he's, he's there. He's right there. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's definitely a shift because I mean, I think you can, especially on looking back, you can make a lot of arguments about Mulder's treatment of, you know, Scully, especially in the earlier seasons and some of the writing of Scully's character being extraordinarily weak and uh, having to be saved repetitively. Um, but especially in the last couple episodes that we're talking about, I mean, she's still vulnerable, but she is showing um, an amazing amount of strength. Um, yeah. That you're not really you've seen bits of but this is of a different level i mean it, it really yeah. is the worst yeah. thing that could happen to somebody um and she's able to cope with it even though there's not really anybody that she can immediately blame and go beat up and destroy you know i mean yeah. she's having to accept that these are the things that have happened and that she has to make the best of life that she can with what she's got and she does um yeah to a great yeah so. definitely yeah yeah, I mean these. I mean these two episodes were uh, just a really great uh, addition, um, you know. And it, it's kind of funny because in a lot of ways, when we talked about doing these episodes, I initially thought it's like trying to think back, and I always thought of these episodes all like shipper episodes. <laughs> There's a lot of like just moments pre Mulder and Scully, and when watching these two, it really brought back that point of you can be a shipper over this relationship, and that's perfectly fine. But that finite 
that thing that occurs between them where it's not necessarily physical and it's that vulnerable moments that they connect are just extraordinarily yeah. I mean they yeah they they have a really a profound love for one another that they don't really understand what that means yet you know they don't it, they're not putting a physical aspect to it it's just this you know emotion and this draw and this connection between them as human beings um you know and and it's about mutual respect and I, yes. th- I think that's what they're finding here is that yeah respecting each other to know that when one is struggling yeah they, the they're, they're, up. they're truly best friends they are the epitome of best friends i mean in this episode they're obviously it's it's a bit stronger than that but they you know it, it's the the whole you know no man gets left behind. It's, it's that that idea that they're in this, you know, partnership. I mean, you know, obviously in war movies, it's referred to as a, as a brotherhood. That's what they have, you know. So that it, I mean, it truly is what they have yeah, with each other. I don't like to call that a brotherhood. So. But that's it's weird. <laughs> well, it's because one of them is male, one of them is female. But no, I mean, yeah. it's just it's it's different. I mean. I mean, it is the same aspect. I mean, I guess I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's a relationship that transcends sexuality or yeah, any kind not, of sexuality. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not correct. It's just on a human level, they respect yes. each other and want to support each other because they want yes. you both to come out on top at the well, end. Well, he, he, later he calls her. Later he calls her his touchstone. That that's exactly what is happening in this episode. They are each yeah. other's touchstone. They right. are. The the thing that keeps the other floating straight. Right. So, yeah. Yep. All right. So we have what? One more episode? One more. To talk about. Either way, I'm terrible with this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, Kitsungari, obviously the sequel to Pusher. Um, It's it's kind of, you know, retread of the first episode in a way that there's somebody out there who's able to push people to do their bidding for them convince them that something that isn't real is actually happening you know um in the there's a bit in the shop where the guy reaches for the baseball bat when he recognizes Modell from the news report of somebody escaped from prison and he says something like oh you're not afraid of snakes and the guy looks down and he's holding the baseball bat but he's actually but for him, he looks down and he sees a snake there. You know, it's, it covers a lot of the same sort of stuff that happened in the initial episode, except yeah. the twist here is that Modell is actually trying to stop his um, sister, his fraternal twin that he never knew that he had, who has the same abilities as him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the twist here, but there's not a whole lot of new stuff that wasn't done no. the first time around. It's, it's certainly doesn't live up to the heights that Pusher did. No, Pusher is definitely a, a better episode, I think. What makes this one... <laughs> probably my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this episode is uh, when they're questioning uh, Linda Bowman about her husband's death. And, of course, he, he dies, I guess, from ingesting the... Um, or, or drowning the cerulean in the blue cerulean paint. blue paint. And so while she's talking to Mulder and Scully, you know, in this kind of, you know, they're questioning her, um, she's using paint metaphors. So she says, you know, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't think my husband was this type of person. I don't want to paint him as that. 
You know, Mulder's catching. Of course, he's a profiler. So he's catching on like this woman totally killed her husband. Yeah. You know, I mean, like he he's seeing right through her. And Scully and Skinner just think he's crazy because they think that Modell's pushing him. And so the whole ep- the rest of the episode is basically them thinking that Mulder is insane, which honestly, let's face it, isn't a far stretch given some of the things that he says and does. Um, yeah, but they think he's crazy. And by the end, you've got, you know, Linda Bowman now pushing Mulder in the, uh, I guess, the warehouse uh, to the point where he almost shoots his actual partner. You know, because he, Linda Bowman has Mulder believe that Scully has shot herself in the head. And, you know, Mulder panics and falls to the floor. And he's, you know, touching her body and, you know, starting to to grieve over the fact that his partner is now dead. Um, And then what he sees is Linda Bowman comes out pointing a gun at him. You know, so he's, he's getting ready to shoot her. And it turns out, of course, that... It's actually Scully that Linda's behind Mulder, pushing him and convincing him that Scully is dead and that, you know, it's Linda that's getting ready to shoot him. And, of course, Scully shoots Linda and Mulder finally realizes that, oh, okay, it is Scully that, that I almost shot, you know, in this warehouse. So, it's there. there's that aspects of it that make it, you know, Grant, Pusher had a lot more shippy moments like that. <laughs> Honestly, it did. But the funniest part of this one is in the very, very end when Skinner's talking to them. He's like, good job, you know, about the case. And then he says he wants to see Mulder by himself. And so Scully looks to Mulder, like, for permission to leave. And he kind of nods at her. And so she leaves. And then Skinner's like, oh, Mulder, you know, good job, you know, with the case. And Mulder's like, you know, I almost killed my partner. And Skinner's response is hysterical. He's like, well, aside from that, you know, <laughs> aside from the fact that he almost shot Scully dead, everything's cool. So, uh, yeah, the ending was kind of thrown together a bit. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. really kind of a rehash. The episode was like that. I mean, Pusher was by far a better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just, I don't know. I mean, yeah. like, it was a terrible concept, I think, in the end. I hate to say that, but... <laughs> Was I mean the original was so much better and yeah. Modell was like even the character is not even the same. No. Um, well, they're trying to make yeah. him help Mulder. You know, he calls because he's trying to tell Mulder what his sister is doing, but because he's pusher, no one will listen to him. So yeah, you know, that just the setup yeah. is just horrible. I mean, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know. Scully didn't really stand out in this episode very well, and it just it was pretty bland. Yeah, I think it was, if it were, if you didn't have Pusher to compare it to, you know, maybe it would be a little bit better, but the problem is Pusher was so good that it's, it's not like Squeeze and Tombs. Like, for those two, they're both very good episodes, um, but it, that's just didn't happen with, with the, with these two, so. Yeah. That's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> All right, let's do the quiz. Quiz no. time. <laughs> okay. Question one. Prior to JFK's assassination, what were Byers' parents intending to name him? Oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, man, I should know this. You should. You totally should know this. Uh... 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. The answer is Bertram. Oh, I never would have gotten that. Not yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that either. Bertram Byers. Bertram Byers. <laughs> oh. So I guess if that had happened, you know, and he'd still joined the Lone Gunman, he'd have been the BB gun. <laughs> oh my gosh okay question two what is the great mutato's favorite sandwich peanut, peanut butter. butter yes dr nutter's peanut butter <laughs> ah, just peanut butter <laughs> no it's dr nutter's he always yeah. they only have dr nutter's in that oh, town that's true and they're like five gallon jars yeah <laughs> <laughs> Question three. What is Bill Scully's wife's name? Oh my gosh. Oh, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) It won't bother me. (laughs) Oh my gosh, hold on. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) I will never know this. Hang (laughs) on. No, it's like on the... It's probably not. Um, Oh my god, how do I not know this? How do I not it, remember it, it is actually mentioned a few times in the episodes. Yeah, it is. Oh my gosh. Well, I definitely don't listen very well. Oh my gosh. Say a name, Tiff. You have a one in. Well, I keep thinking. I, I keep thinking Tina, but that can't be right because that's Mulder's mom. Ah. Change out I, two of those letters, and you're there. I know. It starts with a T, right? Yeah. Is it? Oh my gosh! It's um. It's not Trisha. It's like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ina. Change up some letters. I'm trying. My brain isn't working. You got it. It's going to be something easy. Think palm, lamp. You can do it. Trish. It's not Trish. It's a T word, though. What names start with T? I, I don't know. Like, the only thing... No, it's not Tess. It's like... Oh, my God. This is killing me. <laughs> the answer is Tara. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, man. I, I wasn't even close. I never guessed that. <laughs> yeah. I just had Tina on the brain. Yeah. It's probably because no one really likes Bill Scully's wife. But... <laughs> <laughs> Question four. What toy does Mulder impersonate in Emily? Mr. Potato Head! <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> and question five for today. What is the English translation of Kitsungari? Awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! I got one. <laughs> That's some three out of five again. Yeah. Oh, we're getting slightly the same. We got someday we'll come on. It'll be all fives. We have some consistency, so that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Garrett, for coming along. Thank you.
And um, if you want to keep up to date on the latest news of the revival, of course, you can go to xfilesnews.com. Tiffany Garrett, uh, do you want to give out any social media or anything like that? Uh, Let's see. You can also follow us on Twitter at at xfilesnews. Uh, You can follow my Twitter at tdevol, D-E-V-O-L. Assuming that, like, I tweet more than, like, once or twice every couple weeks, so... Um, that's probably just follow X Files News. You'll you'll get everything there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with me, go to xfilestalkxfiles.com. You can contact us through that website. Give us some questions so that we have some stuff to talk about on the show. If there's any particular questions that you have, uh, you can also click on the Amazon link there. That's an affiliate link. It won't cost you anything extra to buy anything on Amazon through there. But if you're doing some shopping anyway, a little bit of the money you spend will come back and help pay to keep the files for this podcast online, which is always a good thing. <laughs> that is it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Garrett. And uh, that's our show. I think I better go check on my pet rabbit now. Oh. I wanna believe in UFOs and flying saucers and ETs and government conspiracies, but I've seen none of the above. If I did, I think I'd probably would run a million miles Lose my little mind It's like in Detour, we know she killed the uh, the creature. I was actually sad. <laughs> I'm like, he, is, he had lived over 400 years and she murdered him. <laughs> <laughs>